Hi, folks. Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer. This is Growing Boulder, the show that delivers hope, inspiration, and possibility. And we do it by sharing the examples of ordinary people that are living extraordinary lives and by bringing you the experts who can share the tools that can help you build the life you really want. You mean, are you talking about people like maybe the president of a major company that's transformed the lives of women worldwide? He's here today. Are you talking about maybe the first woman in history to join the Seven Continents Club and what she had to do to get in that? Here today. You're not talking about the love counselor, you know, the guy from Oprah, a former divorce attorney who now helps couples make their relationships stronger than ever? I am, and I'm also talking about nutrition expert Dr. Susan Mitchell. And we'll visit with a guy who might be the greatest over 90s swimmer in the world. There aren't a whole lot of people who can make you laugh, and uh, we're going to meet one of them now, a former Hollywood comedy writer who's written for numerous movies and TV shows, including classics like Mork and Mindy and The Muppets Take Manhattan, even Saturday Night Live. Yeah, he's a comic in his own right and the author of a new book that looks at the history of wit and humor. Uh, and it's not just a good read, folks. It is a good laugh. It's called Funny the Book. Let's welcome author David Mish. Hey, David, how are you? I'm just fine, thank you. Well, congratulations on a great book. Uh, uh, do we know, I mean, let's go back to the beginning. Do we know when mankind developed a sense of humor? Was there anything at all to laugh about back in the day of the caveman? Well, the only uh, slight clue we have is some early uh, hieroglyphics that seem to indicate that there was a primitive caveman who deliberately tripped over a log to amuse his cave mates, then <laughs> fell into the fire and burned to death, thereby inventing irony as well. <laughs> But uh, that could be wrong. I, I believe that's more a guess than an accurate predict, uh, accurate uh, analysis. Yeah, we are big fans of slapstick hieroglyphics. But, you know, what's, what's funny... Yeah, nothing like the old hieroglyphics. Oh. Jeez, I don't know. The kids today with their language. But... You know, they need, they need iPhones. We sat around a fire and looked at somebody paint with berries. Exactly. And if the fire would flicker, it was like a movie. You know, it's a flickering screen in front of you. So it was much better then. And isn't it something how human... Humor does change over time, too, and sometimes from culture to culture. But is, is there, are there things that aren't knowing the answer? Universally funny. <laughs> Will something make you know, a Tibetan monk laugh just like it'll make us laugh? Yeah, well, Mel Brooks's definition of comedy is, uh, or the difference between comedy and tragedy is uh, uh, comedy is when you fall into an open manhole and tragedy is when I get a hangnail. And I think that holds true for all civilizations and all cultures. Basically, something horrible happening to someone else is under the right circumstances funny, and something horrible happening to you is, of course, always horrible. Uh, and you really do try to define, I mean, physiologically in your book a little bit about what makes us laugh. I mean, is, is it surprise? Is, is that more than anything what leads to comedy? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can always simplify things and get a, a few quick words out of it, and then you can go deeper and get tremendously uh, difficult to understand polysyllabic terminology. But uh, basically, yeah, surprise. <laughs> um, but what's interesting, and this is one thing I uh, sort of found out writing funny the book and didn't really know beforehand, even though I'd spent a life doing comedy, is that uh, there's really no difference in the fundamentals between comedy and drama. We talk about surprise being a key element of comedy. You can't have comedy without surprise. When you tell a joke, you know, the ending has to surprise you or it's not funny. Uh, if someone on screen does something funny, it's got to be unexpected. But unfortunately, for people who want to define the two very differently, the same thing is true of drama. We are not going to be, uh, we're not going to be shocked or horrified or moved if what happens is exactly what we expect to happen. It's always the true artist is always able to surprise the, uh, the audience. And isn't it interesting how the best example of that, you, know, you have to go back to the 20s maybe and find somebody like Charlie Chaplin, and people think of you know, maybe his old two-reelers and running away from the cops, but if you watch City Lights or The Gold Rush or any of those movies, there's some very complex themes going on there, and without the language to get in the way, I mean, they were also universal themes. I mean, it was pure art. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it grew out of pantomime, but it also, I mean, there's a high and low aspect to it um, because there, is, there are some very uh, significant and complex things going on in those things. I think especially in uh, Buster Keaton, who's kind of my idol, but they, you know, like Shakespeare, he obviously is considered 
tremendously highbrow today, but he was a working theater guy. He had to get the butts in the seats, and he had lots of slapstick, and he had lots of blood and gore, and he had lots of sex. Basically, the things you need to attract an audience then are the same as they are now. We're speaking with David Mish, uh, a very successful Hollywood writer who's written a great book called Funny, the Book. And aside from Chaplin and Keaton, David, do you have a favorite comedian working today? Um, in, I mean, of the ones working today, I could pick someone out, but the, he's not really doing uh, the stand-up anymore, certainly, Steve Martin. Mm. Uh, but he's one of the three stand-ups I, I take a, a closer look at in the book, not so much because they're the best or the greatest or even my favorites, but because I think they revolutionized the art of stand-up comedy, uh, which is just one aspect of what the book covers. But the three are Woody Allen and um, uh, Steve Martin and Richard Pryor. And what Martin brought to the party was quite an amazing uh, insight into what could make people laugh, which was nothing. His idea came out of a course in philosophy he took in, uh, in college uh, where he studied existentialism. And what he took from that was that rather than do what every other comedian had ever done, which is set up punchline, he was going to change the rhythms, and he was going to not make it clear when anything funny had happened. It was up to the audience to figure it out. In the book, I compare him to Andy Warhol, who said, you know, I'm just doing a soup can here, but it's art because it's in a museum. And in the same way, Steve Martin would put things on a stage, and he was a comedian. Everyone knew he was a comedian, and therefore he did something, and therefore you had to figure out why it was funny. And that kind of drawing the audience in is a... Is a, is a key component of any kind of art, but Martin did it in a kind of braver way than anyone had. So, David, if those guys revolutionized it, where have we taken it since? I mean, are we better off now than we were in the days of Carl Reiner and Sid Caesar? I mean, are we going to another level? Well, art is always improving. We look back now at hacks like Michelangelo and Da Vinci, and we laugh. <laughs> but, you know, we can do infinitely better than that. Uh, yeah, so, no, of course, uh, it, it doesn't improve. Things do change. Uh, and they're better and worse in every era. Um, you know, pretty much every era that's ever been, people complain about how life and art and politics and culture have all been degraded. But since that started at the beginning of civilization, we can safely assume we're not at the low point or the high point. There's amazing things being done now. Situation comedies on TV, are as, uh, some of them are as great as there's ever been. And uh, there's some, you know, always amazing things being done. But you got to remember, in any civilization, in any culture, it's only 5% of what's being produced that's going to last the, and make the test of time. Hey, we're down to our final minute. Uh, you, you do mention that when you were uh, writing for Mork and Mindy, Gary Marshall, who, of course, was the producer, told you that uh, some of your work for the show was witty, uh, but he didn't mean it as a compliment. <laughs> no, he said, uh, <laughs> we don't do wit. We do, we do uh, laughs. We do comedy. And what he meant was that he didn't want the audience to sit at home nodding their heads appreciatively at the cleverness of the writer or even the performers. He wanted them to make that loud barking sound that resulted in him buying another house. <laughs> you know, this is great. It's, uh, normally you would think that a book about wit and humor, especially the history, wouldn't be funny. But when you can write a book like that and make it funny as you read it, then you've done something, David, that you should put your own name on the list of people who figured it out and really get it. Well, uh, I'll consider that for the sequel. <laughs> there you go. You can write your own foreword to part two, right? And you can, uh, <laughs> you can save yourself from having to bother anybody else. I love the book. It's called Funny the Book. And uh, David Mish is the guy. And uh, we'll find a lot more about you and uh, get a good read on the book. And love to have you back again to talk about what makes people laugh because there's plenty of things out there. Coming up, the company that transformed American society by giving women a chance to succeed in business. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Located in West Orange County, Orlando Health's Health Central Hospital is a full-service hospital with an accredited chest pain center and heart failure program, as well as top-rated neurospine and orthopedic programs. Learn more at orlandohealth.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. 
Bill Schaefer here with Mark Middleton on Growing Boulder. And you know, there's one thing you could say about every great company, without exception, has an interesting story about its early days. And you know, Tupperware is a great example. Yeah, we became interested in Tupperware because we wanted to know how a company that was built upon a plastic bowl with an airtight seal could not only help transform American society, but actually advance the women's movement worldwide. In 1946, little-known inventor Earl Tupper debuted a new plastic container with an airtight seal. For two years, it sold modestly in department stores. In 1948, 18-year-old Gary McDonald wandered into a department store in Detroit and saw the bowls collecting dust. I was working as a Stanley Home Products dealer with um, mops and brushes and cleaning chemicals. And so I knew the power of a demonstration and Tupperware was a product in need of a demonstration. Many of the things that were sold were brought back because the lids didn't fit or the tops didn't fit. They didn't know how to walk the seal around and burp it at the end. So the little bit that they sold ended up, much of it, being brought back. So I said to myself, wow, this is made for party plan. Party Plan was a new sales technique pioneered at Stanley in which products were sold to groups of women in their homes. McDonald showed the bowls to his aunt and a Stanley manager named Brownie Wise. And her reaction, of course, was like mine and like my aunt's. And so the three of us each began ordering and selling Tupperware just as we sold Stanley Home products. Before long, the Tupperware sales manager showed up in Detroit with one question. I want to know just what in the hell you guys are doing. You are selling so much more Tupperware than the J.L. Hudson department store, which is the biggest department store in the world. What are you doing? That meeting led to the formation of Tupperware Home Party Incorporated, and the rest is history. And not just business history. Tupperware helped transform American culture. During the war, women were needed in defense factories, but when the war ended, they were expected to return home and continue working as housewives. It wasn't glass ceiling then. It was almost uh, a iron door that they couldn't get out of the house. They craved opportunity and they reveled in recognition, and Gary McDonald and Brownie Wise gave them both. They pioneered a direct sales system and recruited an army of Tupperware ladies. The charismatic wise lit the fuse and the business exploded. She was um, a nice looking woman uh, who became beautiful when she was speaking, uh, whether it was on the phone uh, or before uh, a handful of people. When she addressed the group, it was just magical what she would um, do in terms of turning on the people. Wise and McDonald staged annual meetings called Jubilees for top producers. Yes, this is Jubilee 1957. Thousands of Tupperware ladies flocked to Florida for what at times seemed like a religious revival. Well, in some ways it was. Uh, the golden rule kind of thing always uh, was there. We started every meeting with a uh, playing of uh, Perry Como's Lord's Prayer. And they usually finished it with a rousing rendition of the Tupper song. So I've got that Tupper spirit up in my head. A song that reflected the reality of how people felt about Tupper and Tupperware and the Tupperware home parties. It was all over them. And um, their kids became involved in packing merchandise at home and uh, helping mom do the things that they did. And her success would be a success for the whole family. McDonald created huge promotions and giveaways and Wise worked the women into a frenzy, recognizing their accomplishments and challenging them to achieve even more. And they did. Many quickly became millionaires. This created an arena in which they could be recognized for accomplishment. And they did so in an organization created by a woman who is a master at creating and giving recognition and having people do more than they could possibly do. 
If Brownie Wise were alive today, she'd be Oprah and Tony Robbins all rolled into one. She became a national celebrity driving fancy cars and wearing expensive clothes. She was the face of the company, the story of the company, bigger even than the product itself. In April of 1954, she became the first woman ever featured on the cover of Business Week magazine. Insiders say she began to believe all of her press. At the same time, Earl Tupper began to resent her lavish lifestyle and unprecedented media profile. In January of 1958, Tupper flew to Florida to meet with Gary McDonald. He said, I have had it with Brownie Wise. Uh, I am going out to headquarters and I am firing her this morning, absolutely and totally. McDonald objected, but Tupper's mind was made up. He said, I can do anything I damn well please. Both corporations are mine, and I am the boss, and she does not recognize that, and I have had enough of her. I'm up to here with Brownie Wise. And just like that, one of the most amazing chapters in the history of American business was over. Later that year, Tupper sold the company to Rexall, relinquished his American citizenship, and bought an island in Central America where he died in 1983. Wise tried to start other party plan businesses but failed to recapture the glory days of Tupperware. She never again spoke to Gary McDonald and died in 1992 while quietly living just a few miles from Tupperware headquarters. That leaves Gary McDonald as the last living executive who was there for the beginning of one of the greatest corporate stories ever. Gary and his wife, Sue, still have a house full of Tupperware, some of it over 50 years old, and they still use it every day. A unique product that, in the right hands, transformed lives and changed a culture. What it uh, did for people in terms of self-image and for women in terms of opportunity is just a story that has not been told boldly enough. And so he'll tell it himself. McDonald is now writing a book on the product, the people, and the passion that created this great American company. You know, that's an incredible story, Mark. I can't wait to uh, see Gary's book because it's also an important chapter in American business. And, of course, today still, Tupperware is an international company transforming women's lives everywhere in the world. In fact, it was recently named one of the world's most admired companies by Fortune magazine. Yeah, kudos to Rick Goins, who is the CEO of Tupperware. But the day-to-day -day operation is under the guidance of President Simon Hemus. And we actually caught up with Simon and got an inside look at today's Tupperware Corporation when we featured Hemus in our Central Florida Executive Challenge. It's 6.30 a.m. on a workday, and the sun is just beginning to come up over the global headquarters of Tupperware brands. Associates are beginning together for another TupperFit 5K, part of the company's extensive commitment to the health and wellness of its employees. Mingling with the troops, preparing to run, is President Simon Hemus. And I always believe that uh, if you do this in the workplace, then you take your good habits home. And then those good habits will spread amongst the community. We are fortunate enough to have wonderful grounds in which we can exercise in. And so we have a gym, and we have our own gym. In our gym, we have health and wellness programs, you know, which includes yoga classes, includes Pilates, uh, includes the use of personal trainers. Keep yes. the knees in. Yeah. Okay. All right, here we go. Woo! Pace man. Tupperware brand's commitment to employee wellness is extensive. Reasonably priced, healthy food choices are available in the cafeteria, along with the latest nutritional information and healthy recipe books. The company has ordered a fleet of eco-bikes to pedal across campus, and they're building a butterfly garden where staff can relax and unwind. We even have a smile day, by the way. Uh, we think that, uh, you know, to smile and to be happy is also part of your whole well-being. Hemus rarely misses a chance to participate in the endless opportunities offered employees, including tennis, volleyball, softball, basketball, and more. He is one of our biggest cheerleaders. Every morning he's at the gym right along with me at 6 o'clock. We are working out, running, just having a good time. 63 I am. As Hemus makes his way to the finish line, it's easy to see that his leadership, his example, and his company's remarkable health and wellness initiatives are greatly appreciated. 
Not surprisingly, Tupperware brands with nearly 14,000 associates and 2.7 million independent Salesforce members worldwide was recently named one of the world's most admired companies by Fortune magazine. And the more of us that do this, so much the better. And we have a much better society. I believe in it. You know, it's almost my own religion, if you like. How's that? Holy <laughs> Maloney. Oh my goodness me. Yeah, he was a little tired after that run. Simon Hemus, though, is the perfect example of what Central Florida Executive Challenge is all about. You know, something's been bugging me. If bacteria causes so many diseases, why the heck are we hearing now that taking them can actually prevent disease? If you've ever seen a yogurt commercial, you know that probiotics are all the rage. What's it all about? Well, let's find out as we ask registered dietitian and nutritionist. You've seen her on the Today Show, CNN, and the Food Network. She's the host of the podcast, Straight Talk About Eating Smart. Here is... Dr. Susan Mitchell. What's up with this, Doc? <laughs> Thanks, Mark. You know, okay, grab a yogurt container and let's clear up the label confusion. Well, Mark, yogurt's a great source of protein and calcium, but it also contains probiotics or healthy bacteria. It sounds like an oxymoron, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> well, take a look at the nutrition facts label on the container. Most yogurt is low in fat and contains various vitamins and minerals, including calcium and vitamin B12. But in addition to the nutrition facts label, look a little closer at that ingredient list. Did you know the ingredients are listed from most to least? Now, this is going to include all the ingredients such as fruit, sweeteners, or probiotics. So focus right there. You See what I'm talking about on the back? See the scientific names of the probiotics listed. The probiotics added will vary from product to product. So for overall health, the idea is consuming various probiotics can help keep your intestinal tract healthy. And it helps if they're higher up in the list of ingredients, right? Because it means they're more prevalent? Yes, it can. Exactly. All right. So what about reports that say that certain probiotics are especially effective if you are, in fact, taking antibiotics? Okay, that's exactly right, Mark. Here's the deal. Certain strains of probiotics may be useful in treating irritable bowel syndrome, a diarrhea, especially if you've been taking antibiotics, and ulcerative colitis. But probiotics are not all the same. I want you to think of it like this. When you're sick with an infection, you know how that requires antibiotics? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, your doctor prescribes a particular antibiotic to destroy the bacteria causing the illness. Well, it's the same thing with probiotics. Bottom line, the strain of probiotics must be specific to the health concern you're treating. So, for example, you might see lactobacillus GG on your ingredient list. That's often recommended for antibiotic use. So if you have a health problem, then the specific probiotic strain matters. So you've got to be sure and discuss this with your dietitian or pharmacist so that you get the right one. Helping sort out all the confusion once again, Dr. Susan Mitchell, thanks. Coming up, is your relationship less than perfect? Stay tuned for The Love Counselor. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Center for Health and Well-Being, coming soon in Winter Park. Wellness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingboulder.com. I'm Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Boulder. And our next guest you're going to like because he is known as the Love Counselor. He's been featured on Oprah, and he's got an awesome new book called Get Your Power Back. And it's one of those books, folks, you need this if you need any help at all in coping or struggling with issues. This book will get you right back on track. Love the book, but we also love uh, this about this guy, folks. He's a very interesting example of reinventing yourself. He's a former divorce attorney who was all about helping end broken relationships, but now he's He actually helps couples fix what's broken and keep love alive. Let's find out more as we welcome Bill Ferguson. Hey, Bill, how are you? 
Well, fine. Hi there. Uh, you know, we, we love your message, and we, and we love the way that you, you present it on your website. Uh, it does seem that middle age is a critical crossroads for most people. It's either an opportunity to really break free and create the life that we want, uh, but it's also, unfortunately, a time that, that many people just give up because they think it's too late. From your experience, is it ever too late to free yourself from all the emotional baggage we carry around? Oh, it's never too late. Because who we are under all the stuff is pure law, pure creation, pure possibility. You know, and as we bring that forth through us into our life, life just works. You know, and you're never too old to reconnect with who you are. You know, I love that, too, because uh, we were talking about your book, you know, before we came on the air. And, and when you read Get Your Power Back, you start to realize that, you know, from your point of view, that a lot of the problems or struggles or things that we're going through now really took root when we were kids. They were incidents or, or things that happened when we were young. Are we really carrying those things around still to this day well, with us? And trying anytime to... there's an area of life that isn't working, a relationship or anything, anytime there's any area of life that isn't working, what's happening is that we're fighting the truth of something. See, at any moment, what's so is always what's so. What happened, happened. What is, is. And when you can be at peace with the truth of what's so, you can put your focus on what do you need to do about it. See, and that's where life works. Any area of life that doesn't work, notice the direction of focus. Instead of focusing on what do we need to do based on the truth, we're focusing on fighting the way things are. And when we do that, we make everything worse. And why we fight the truth is because the truth hurts. It strikes a nerve. And that nerve is that childhood hurt. It's the hurt that got created as a child, and it can be healed. And when you heal that hurt, you're more able to flow with life. And when you can flow with life, life works. So here's the big question, because it strikes me there, there, there is a, a really solid parallel here between, you know, when you tell people that want to get in better shape, get off the couch and get going, they know it'll work, but they don't have the willpower because it hurts. And now you're telling people psychologically that if they want to overcome their hurt and fix their problems, they've got to face them. And as soon as they do, it hurts and they back off. They get back on the, the couch psychologically, if you will. How can you get people to take those first few steps to, to where they start actually improving their life? Well, you gotta, first off, you've got to see what's going on. Because, see, all the areas of life that aren't working, they're never the problem, they're the symptom. And they're the symptom of running from something that doesn't even exist. Hmm. Our whole lives are about running from an illusion. Wow. You know, we're born, we get hurt, we can't help but create the belief that we're worthless, not good enough, not worth loving, something like that. And it's never the truth. But it, in the eyes of a little child, in that moment of deep hurt, it becomes our truth, and then we spend the whole rest of our lives running from it. And once the illusion gets exposed, then the whole thing loses power. Man, what a bunch of wussies we are, huh? Well, it's just our whole culture is about focusing on the circumstances rather than inside of us. But the circumstances are never the problem. We're, we spend our lives looking in the wrong direction, and of course, when you do that, nothing's ever going to change. Well, here's something else that's a problem that you point out in the book that hits you right between the eyes, self-sabotage. You say that every one of us has something inside of us that forces us to act in a way that where we destroy our love and we sabotage our own life. What's, what's wrong with us? <laughs> well, let's look at somebody. Let's say somebody has the, the childhood hurt of feeling not worth loving. Well, then what's going to happen is they're going to forever have an issue with rejection and abandonment. They're constantly going to get upset because people aren't treating them a certain way. They're going to hang on to people. They're going to uh, act destructively, and they will interact in a way that will forever sabotage their relationships and bring to them more of the very hurt that they're avoiding. Whatever the hurt is that we run from, we're going to act in a way that's going to keep creating it over and over and over again for the whole rest of our lives until we heal it. Wow. Folks, he is Bill Ferguson. His, his book is called Get Your Power Back. And, and Bill, we get that. Uh, you know, the, the key to overcome hurt is to feel it. The key to uh, deal with uh, all of our problems are to embrace them. Uh, we get that. But how do we do it? Give us some actionable steps. How, how can we improve our lives now? Well, it's, it's surrendering to the truth. 
See, whatever you resist, the very act of resisting is going to magnify and give power to whatever you're resisting. For example, imagine on the ceiling above you four large yellow balloons. Now, whatever you do, don't think about them. Hmm. Yeah. See, notice what happens when you fight them. You get yellow balloons everywhere. You fight the way somebody is, then that characteristic grows. You resist losing somebody, you push them away. Literally, whatever you resist, you create. So the name of the game is to be able to flow with life, let go of the resisting, let be willing for life to be however it is and however it may become, not in your actions but in your heart. When you can flow with life, you're creative, you're resourceful, you're very effective, and in that state of peace, solutions, opportunity, and possibility show up. Yeah, you point out a great test to see if you're on track with that, too, because you, you point out in the book that it is physically impossible to argue with somebody when you're listening to them. Yeah, you can't. Anytime you have an argument, you've got two people pushing their point of view on the other, and nobody is listening. So, so as we wrap it up here, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are hurting these days and, and worry about losing their jobs. And, and to hear you, you, you say the way to deal with that is to quit worrying about it. You know, just trust that the, the flow of life will take you where you're destined to be. And in stopping worrying about the things that, that, that scare you. Well, uh, but, you but, yeah, but that's easier said than done. Amen. See, the, the, see what fear itself is very destructive. What creates a state of fear is resisting a future event. To have any fear lose its power, you've got to do the opposite of what gives it power. Instead of resisting a future event, be willing in your heart for it to happen. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it doesn't happen, but if it does happen, I'll deal with it. And you know, That's letting go. And in the letting go, that removes the fear, upset, and tunnel vision. It restores your ability to see clearly, and in that state, life works. Yeah, and it's like you said, you know, the, the key and the first step, the hardest step of all is is wanting to get better and realizing that, yeah, you, we, we, do, we do all have these issues and we do all need to improve. You know, you know, folks, I want to throw a term at you, tip of the iceberg, because that's what we touched here. This guy is amazing, and the whole book reads just like he talks. It's clear, easy to understand, and it will change your life. It's called Get Your Power Back. The website is Mastery of Life. Com. We've been talking to Bill Ferguson. Great information, great advice, and great ways to start growing bolder. Coming up, he's 92 years old and still hasn't peaked yet in competitive swimming. This is Growing Bolder. Support for Growing Bolder provided by... The Masson Spine Institute, where world-renowned, minimally invasive techniques lead to fast recovery. The Masson Spine Institute, excellence in spinal surgery. More information at MassonSI.com. And by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. The following interview was recorded before the passing of our guest. We're honored to have on our stage from the birds, Mr. Roger McGuinn. and the bird, Bruce Springsteen and Roger McGuinn with the intro. You can't get any better than that unless you can follow it up with a guest who deserves it. And you are going to hear a great one now. Why? Because we're going to interview a guy who I believe is 92 years old. And I say I believe because when you hear him, the strength in his voice, the passion, the energy this guy has, folks, you will literally not even believe it. Yeah, that is exactly who this guy is, and I know all about it because I met him a few weeks ago at a Masters swimming meet that I was entered in, and I heard on the announcer that a 92-year-old was swimming in lane number one, so I immediately went over there, you know, expecting to see some frail, quiet, timid, elderly person, and I could not have been more wrong. This guy was in a dead sprint for the end of the pool. He was kicking butt, and when he got out, 
great physique, dynamic personality, Hollywood movie star smile. And with that, folks, it's my pleasure to introduce you to our new buddy, Mr. Brud Cleveland. Brud, how you doing? I'm doing real fine. It's been a nice, busy day today, and uh, we're... I uh, got great weather here in Florida. Man, you you know what? I, I mean this sincerely. When I saw you uh, get out of the pool and then you walked up to me later, you're moving like a 40-year-old. One of the only 90-somethings in the world uh, that, that has the kind of energy that you do. Uh, where do you get the energy? Well, first of all, I decide to have it. I decide that uh, I'm here to, to perform, and uh, that's my job, to uh, keep the body working. God gave me a body, and that's my responsibility to keep it in good shape. And, and how much do you do? What, 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 how often do you swim? What else do you do? Well, I, uh, right now, I'm, uh, my workouts are walking, calisthenics, and swimming. And I'm swimming a routine of uh, about 1,000 yards uh, three days a week. And my objective is uh, to go with three other men and make some national records at the... Um, Along, uh, the short course uh, nationals in Atlanta in May, and, and you're going to do it. There, there's not a lot of ninety, not a lot of people in your age group anymore, is there? No, actually, in the internet, there's only two other men in the nineties that are still competing, and uh, um, I was the only one last year's nationals in Clovis, Clovis uh, California, and I haven't seen the the uh, psych sheet yet for this one, but. Probably there may not be more than one or two uh, 90-year-olds in it. You know, and it's just uh, uh, they, they, desi- they decide not to work anymore or else their bodies won't perform. I don't know how it is. You know, Brad, uh, Mark swims in the Masters events, and he just recently took that up again, and he's doing so well, and it's changed him for the better in so many ways. And- he is just phenomenal. And he, uh, <laughs> talk about uh, notoriety, he, he was really uh, uh, intriguing all of the people on the deck because they knew what he had done in college, and they knew that he hadn't been swimming for a few, but he made some records. And, he and did he, a tremendous job. Thank you, Brad. And he's like so many uh, people out there that if they, if they get a little encouragement and get back in, you could be amazed at what happened. But let me tell you this, Brad. When Mark came back, instead of telling us all how well he did, and he did great, he couldn't wait to tell us about you. And if, you know, we do this for a living. We, we, we try to shine the light on people like you. And for Mark to be so impressed with the way you carry yourself, your attitude, your energy, can you imagine the impact and the inspiration that you give to other people? Well, actually, um, in, in this day and age that uh, of my... You know, after I passed 85, I figured, well, what, what am I doing this for? When, and I go to a meet uh, because I think possibly that I might encourage some others, and that's, that's one of my goals uh, at this stage in game. And you know what? It's not just the, 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 your body and how you move. It's your mind and how you think. I mean, you've got a smile on your face and a glint in your eye. I told my wife after I met you, I said, when you, when you meet this guy, and I hope you will, uh, it's like talking to Ernest Borgnine. I mean, there's something about you. Has anybody ever told you that? that uh, and, and when you see Ernest Borgnine on TV, you realize, well, that's probably why he and, and Brud are so much alike and are, and are so active. They literally are in love with life. Well, yeah, actually, that's it. Uh, the only guy that I get uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, compared to pe- people seem to think that I look like uh, Jack Lalane, and uh, I uh, I admire him. I admire what he's been doing, and and uh, I think that's a great compliment, and I enjoy that. Well, he's a good guy, but I think you'd kick his butt. <laughs> well, I could probably maybe in swimming or something, but. But as far as doing uh, push-ups, uh, he does a thousand push-ups in less than an hour, and and he can do. Uh, his body uh, is unique in the ability to do repetitive things uh, over a long period of time. Gee, Brad, I was going to say you kind of remind me of George Clooney. Well, uh, there again, uh, you're you're do, you're getting uh, out there where uh, I, I I can appreciate what you're saying, but I'm, I'm humbled to. Uh, 
be compared with these people. Hey, you know, Brad, we talk a lot about one of the secrets to, to really making the most out of your life after a certain age is to stay engaged with younger people. To me, that's one of the neat things about master swimming is it kind of throws all of us together into one big lump. You really do seem to enjoy the association of people in their 20s and 30s and 50s and 60s. Absolutely. That's a, that's a big plus, and that's why one of the reasons why I go to the extent of, of getting to these meets. Tell us, Brad, a little bit about your past. Is there something about what you did for a living or, 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 or how you grew up that gave you this good attitude or that, that enabled you to keep going at this age? Well, I, I went to a camp, Culverman Military Camp, when I was 10 years old, and they had a motto, uh, uh, I can if I will, and I've absorbed that all along. And then uh, I got involved in the YMCA, and so I've been a teacher I've been teaching uh, swimming ever since I was in junior high school, and I've um, I coached in uh, uh, swimming and uh, gymnastics at uh, at the community well at UCLA and the community college in California, and and uh, I've been a jock. I I skied and I climbed mountains and I've done bicycle, I've done triathlons and 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 uh, marathons, and uh, my my whole goal is to is to do what you're capable of doing and have a variety of uh, experiences. We are speaking with 92-year-old Brud Cleveland, who may very well be the the best over-90 swimmer in the world uh, and, and perhaps in history. And, and Brud, one of our favorite questions uh, to someone like you is, you know, what, what is the moral of your story? What is the takeaway? What have you learned about life that you can share with us? Well, I think uh, life is to be lived, and I enjoy the great variety, the opportunities that there are, uh, it's just fabulous of what, what is capable of what there is to do. And uh, I want to continue to do that. My uh, wife and I have a, have a goal every month. We take a trip someplace, and uh, we do our uh, daily walk together. And uh, we're, um, life is to be lived. That's our, that's our, uh, our basic uh, tenet. Well, Brad Cleveland, you are an amazing man. We love the example that you set, but you know what we love most of all? You're just a cool guy, and, and, and that's the bottom line, folks. You stay engaged, you stay active, and who knows, maybe we can all, and what a great blessing, live to be like Brad Cleveland. Thank you so much, Brad. Coming up next, the first woman in history to join the Seven Continents Club. What's that? We'll find out on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the UCF College of Medicine, where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Hey folks, this is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark That's Bill, and our next guest is a historic figure. She's the very first woman in history to join the Seven Continents Club. All you got to do to get into that is run a marathon on all seven continents. You know, and wouldn't that be enough, Mark, in somebody's life if that's all she's accomplished? Wow. But get this, she's run over 240 marathons, including one in all 50 states and all Canadian provinces. What's up with her? Wow. Let's find out from Virginia Farnham. Hi, Virginia. How you doing? Great. And yourself? You know, I bet you could use a good foot rub about now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yes. I get one quite often. You, you know, one of the reasons that we thought you were such an amazing person is not just all the great things you've accomplished that we mentioned already, but is it true, Virginia, that you didn't even start running until you were 45 years old? What happened? Yes. <laughs> how did how did that happen? Well, I tell you, my husband. Uh, you know, I'm at the age where, <clears throat> sorry, uh, where you know we smoked. Uh, I didn't smoke a lot, but See, I that's had... why you're coughing still, right? <laughs> 
and my husband smoked a lot, and so, uh, you know, he quit smoking, and he had a, a partner that uh, was a big triathlete. He had done Boston, and he did, a, you know, a lot of triathlons. So. And so my husband started running, and, uh, of course, uh, I was not athletic when we married. You know, I'm a workaholic, and I learned to play tennis, you know, for him, and I learned to ski just to stay married. And then uh, he started running, and one day he came in, and, you know, he's six feet tall, and and he was sweating, and it just, to me, didn't look healthy. I said, how can it be healthy for that big body pounding on those little feet? And I said to him, I'm not, I tell you, I've done a lot of things for you, but I'm not running. Uh, and what changed your mind? And, and I went and stood there, you know, five hours and watched all these people, you know, come in. And some of them were, you know, quite heavy and some of them, of course, you know, skinny and uh I looked at them and I said, a fella came in and probably weighed uh, probably 250, maybe 275, barefoot, no shirt. And I thought, you know, if that can fella can do it, you know, maybe I can. And I, when I came home, I, I tried to start running and it was not easy, you know, uh, because I didn't want to run to begin with. <laughs> wow. But I started running and the, the first mile, I mean, the first race that I did was, I think, uh, 10K in Dublin. Ohio, and I tell you, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. But it wasn't easy for me, but uh, I enjoyed it. After a while, you know, after, you know, you run so much, you know, you sort of... Uh, now, I'm not running right now. I had I had both my knees scoped, and my right knee has not wanted to heal. And so, you know, I do a lot of cycling, but uh, I'm not running right now. So, so at what point in this adventure, Virginia, did you decide to do something no one else has done? And not just run around the block, but run around the world, run a marathon on every continent? Well, to be honest, you know, uh, I, I can't take the credit. My husband, I think, wanted a kid that was uh, in sports, and he didn't get one, so <laughs> I think he took it out on me. And he he liked to travel abroad and, and do a lot of things in the I did not like to travel abroad, and but if he put a marathon in front of it, I'd go anywhere. And actually, I think that's the way it got started, you know. And um, he really, you know, I don't want to say pushed me, but he encouraged me to do that. And so, you know, it was mainly his doing a lot more than mine, to be honest with you. Yeah, that, it, it is interesting, and many times it is one spouse that pushes another, and we get that part. The part that is just hard to understand is going from not liking running to running all those marathons. Tell us, what has this done to you? How has this changed the way you feel in your life? Well, to me, I'm an extremely, I'm a workaholic, and I work all the time, and I'm extremely hyper. I think I'm ADD, really. <laughs> but uh, the running, it gives you sort of a uh, you know, an inner peace, uh, and also, you know, uh, it's something you do yourself, you know, you put one foot in front of the other, and nobody can do that for you, and so that when you are done, you know, you feel like, uh, you know, uh, you have accomplished something on your own, you know, when you're in business, somebody always helps you, you know, succeed, because you have, you know, a, a team of people that make you successful. When you run, you really, uh, you know, you do it on your own, and, uh, and you feel terrific. Uh, you know, I've been able to cope with a lot of things that normally maybe I wouldn't have been able to cope because of the running. Wow. And so I think it just gives you sort of an inner peace, really. You Who know? doesn't need an inner peace? Folks, she is Virginia Farneman, the first woman in history to run a marathon on all seven continents. Uh, and, Virginia, the, the reason we love your story is that you really do embody what is possible. You didn't start running until later in life. When you first tried it, you hated it, but you overcame that. You had willpower. You succeeded with encouragement, uh, which is something that we all need. And, and now you've got inner peace out the other side. W will you tell us as we go in the final 30 seconds how old are you now, and, and what's your message to everybody else? I don't know how old I am. I was born in 1937. I haven't added it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think I'm either 75 or 76, one of those. Good for you. And what's the takeaway? Give us a 15-second message to, to think about. Well, you know, uh, running is, is a number one. It's a health, you know, issue. And, and I think that, that if you can do the health and the inner peace together, I mean, you know, what else do you want? Virginia? You said it all, kiddo. 
And what takes you 26 miles to run, you were able to sum up in just a few seconds. Amazing what she has done. She's in her mid-70s. She's not running, but she's still on the bike, still pushing the boundaries, still staying in shape. And that's what life is all about. That's what growing boulder is all about. She's run over 240 marathons, a marathon in every state and all the Canadian provinces. What a great example from Virginia Farneman. Well, we hope we've helped motivate you, even if just a little bit, to realize that it's never too late to improve the quality of your life. Of course, we always try to bring guests that somehow can connect with you, touch something in you that inspires you to get off the couch and get into life. Yeah, and of course, we are here to help, not only here on Growing Boulder Radio, but also on Growing Boulder TV, growingboulder.com, and now... Growing Boulder magazine. We think you're going to like it. And if you haven't already, be sure to stop by, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, because that way we can keep you up to date on all things Growing Boulder. We'll see you again next time. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to growing bolder, it's not about age. It's about attitude. Crimson flames tied through my ears, flowing high and mighty trapped. Countless fire and flaming road, using ideas as my map. We'll meet on edges soon, said I. So much older than